0: Good morning. My name is Raquel and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Auto Canada fourth quarter 2020 earnings call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question at that time, please press star followed by the one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. I'd like to remind everyone that certain statements in this presentation and on our call are forward-looking in nature, including, among other things, future performance and the implementation of the Go Forward Plan. Please include, this includes statements involving known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors outside of management's control that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed in the forward-looking statement. Auto Canada does not assume any responsibility for the accuracy and completeness of the forward-looking statements and does not undertake any obligation to publicly revise these forward-looking statements to reflect subsequent events or circumstances. For additional information about possible risk, please refer to our AIF, which is available on CDAR and on our website within the Investor Documentation and Filing section. I will now turn the call over to Kevin McPherson, Director of Finance. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, and good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us in today's fourth quarter results conference call. For today's call, I'm joined by Paul Anthony, our executive chair. Mike Boris, chief financial officer. Michael Rollick, president of our Canadian operations. Tamara Darvish, president of our U.S. operations and Peter Hong, our chief strategy officer. We released our Q4 results after the market closed yesterday. A copy of our results is available for download on our website. For today's call, we'll be discussing the current state of the business, discussing the financial results, and providing an update on both our Canadian and U.S. segments. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Paul.
2: Thank you, Kevin. Before I get started, I'd like to wish everyone a good new year and start to 2021. We recognize 2020 was challenging for many of our customers, employees, and partners, and I'm hopeful that 2021 is a positive year. I'll begin by saying that I'm once again impressed by our team's performance in Q4 as we delivered yet another record setting quarter. The team's relentless execution on daily actions and measures continue to tighten the screws on the business model and position us to sustain top tier operating performance. Starting with revenue, where we recorded an all time record fourth quarter figure of $876.1 million through adjusted EBITDA of 40.5 million or a 30.6 million on a pre-IFRS basis, which was 92.2% better as compared to Q4 2019. We improved year-over-year performance across almost every metric. I was particularly pleased with our adjusted EBITDA margin improvement, which increased from 2.6% to 4.6%. Despite the challenges posed by COVID, our team outperformed the market for the eighth consecutive quarter, and that's our primary barometer for measuring performance, which provided continued validation of the foundational work that has been accomplished since this management team took the to helm just over two years ago. This performance also confirms my longstanding view that Auto Canada, as a platform, has several major structural advantages in the market. First, and one, digital. The role the digital experience plays in the automotive retail lifecycle continues to expand at an accelerating rate, and the need to provide a seamless, omni-channel experience is increasingly self-evident. The significant experience Auto Canada brings to the table, including professionals who have lived automotive, software, and digital within the operation and on the board, positions us exceptionally well to benefit from these trends. As we shape the future of our business, we also believe the marketplace model, which was central to digital automotive for the last 20 years, is shifting towards a significantly more dealer centric approach, reducing friction in the sales process as a result and driving unit economics for the dealer. This also benefits Auto Canada in the near term. Number two, scale. We are seeing significant benefits associated with having a true centralized platform. This is not only economic, but includes access to more human capital and development of stronger OEM relationships. Three, diversification. As we have reinforced, this isn't just about selling new cars. We believe it's critical to support the entire customer life cycle, including financing, warranties, parts, service, and more recently, collision in the use-only space. We're putting the customer experience first, which in turn provides the company with balance. Four, acquire of choice. Auto Canada has seen a significant uptick in the number of acquisition opportunities and has a robust pipeline of potential targets. This allows us to remain disciplined while realizing the meaningful benefits of moving dealerships onto our platform. Number five, balance sheet. Our balance sheet is as strong as it has ever been, and Mike will further detail. Importantly, this gives us over $250 million in dry powder for M&A or other strategic initiatives within our target leverage metrics without having to go and raise equity. We will be disciplined in managing this number, but it also allows us to play offense at a point in the cycle when it's most valuable for us to do so. Sixth, and lastly, data. If there's anything my prior experience of building and operating an automotive data business has taught me, it's the best operators are the ones that manage their business through data-driven decisions. Over the last two years, our team has developed a data-first mentality. Now every facet of our business, from managing inventory to operating our service departments, is monitored and tracked through our in-house data analytics team, enabling all of our operators to make data-driven decisions. You'll hear us come back to these themes during this call and in the quarters to come, but for now I'll touch on some operational highlights. In Canada, Michael and his team continue to operate at a high level and deliver industry-leading results. As I said before, for the eighth consecutive quarter, we have outperformed the Canadian market, as same-store new retail unit sales increased 0.7% compared to a market decline of 4.9%. Our used vehicle segment was, once again, a key driver of the success in Q4 to 2020. Same store used vehicle gross profit increased by 3.2 million or 27.9% compared to last year. Our used to new retail units also increased to .93 from .84, the ninth consecutive quarter of year-over-year improvement, and our trailing 12-month used to new retail units ratio improved to .95 compared to 0.78 last year. In the U.S., we continue to see improvements as Tammy's initiatives to focus on profitability and improvements to the expense structure, along with improved market demand contributed to the U.S. platform, reporting Q4 2020 adjusted EBITDA of $1.2 million. That's an increase of $2.3 million over last year. This represents their sixth consecutive quarter of normalized adjusted EBITDA, year-over-year improvement. We expect to begin shifting our focus from cost structure management to now entering growth mode over the coming quarters through the same vectors utilized in Canada, used vehicles, parts and service, and f Regarding the Q4 balance sheet, we continue to successfully manage cash with a focus on preserving liquidity and our financial flexibility ending the year with a net debt of $89.5 million and a net debt leverage of 1.3 times. That's well below our target leverage range of 2.5 to 3 times. We generated strong free cash flow of $131 million in 2020 compared to $100 million last year. I must say our employees in Canada and the U.S. have worked tirelessly and delivered excellent performance under really challenging conditions. Thank you so much. We are indebted to you. We're entering 2021 on a very solid footing. We remain well prepared to face any changes in our current environment. I'll come back to speaking more about our business model and strategy in my concluding remarks, but for now, I'll turn it over to Mike.
3: Thanks, Paul, and good morning to everyone
2: on the call. Echoing Paul's sentiments
3: this past year has marked a significant and positive turn for the company on many fronts. Operationally, the teams in both Canada and the US have come a long way in building resiliency to our business model, so as to be that much better positioned to counter the cyclicality of the business supporting stable growth, and protecting against recessionary environments. What we refer to as our complete business model is a key pillar to how we see our business growing. Speaking to the bottom line, on a pre-IFRS 16 basis, our annual normalized adjusted EBITDA has improved to 81.7 million for the year, as compared to 59.9 million in 2019, a 36.5% improvement. Normalized adjusted EBITDA margin on a pre-IFRS 16 basis has improved to 2.5% as compared to 1.7% in the prior year and 1.6% in 2018. We continue to make progress in moving closer to our U.S. peers' margin profile, adjusting for percentage of real estate owned. From a balance sheet perspective, looking back to the start of this year, we refinanced our debentures in February 2020, just ahead of the onset of COVID-19 setting ourselves up well with liquidity and improved financial flexibility through 2020. At year-end, our net debt leverage was 1.3 times. This compares to 2.6 times at the end of 2019 and 6.6 times at our peak in Q1 2019. On a lease-adjusted basis, we've set our target at 4.5 times. At year-end, our net lease-adjusted leverage was 4.3 times. Free cash flow in the year was $131 million. Compared to 100 million in the prior year, we've continued to maintain strong discipline in converting our earnings into cash. And it's worth noting that this was our sixth consecutive quarter of positive pre cash flow. We've indicated, and analysts have echoed, that we have approximately 250 million of dry powder. That is to say, we can deploy capital at that amount at some return and remain within our stated net debt leverage target. This dry powder supports our ability to finance any potential transactions responsibly while ensuring that we maintain the company's strong balance sheet and overall financial flexibility. I have to end my piece here as I have since the end of the first quarter of 2020. We cannot know what the future holds for us with COVID-19, but with the actions we've taken to strengthen the business and the balance sheet, we are well positioned to weather any
1: outcome. With that, I'll turn it over to Kevin to discuss our results. Thanks, Mike. At the consolidated level, revenue came in at 876.1 million, an increase of 67 million or 8.3%. Gross profit came in at 152.7 million, an increase of 13.1 million or 9.4%. Adjusted EBITDA came in at 40.5 million, which was an increase of 19.4 million or 92.1% over Q4 2019. In our Canadian segment, total retail vehicles sold came in at. 13,940, an increase of 729 units or 5.5%. The Canadian segment generated revenue of 778.4 million, an increase of 11.5% versus the prior year. Gross profit was 136.1 million, an increase of 10.8%. Adjusted EBITDA increased to 39.2 million, an increase of 17.1 million. In our U.S. segment, revenue was 98 million, a decrease from Q4 2019 of 11.9%. Girls' profit was $16.6 million, which was relatively flat against Q4 2019, showing a decrease of 1.4%. However, gross profit percentage increased to 17% versus 15.2 in Q4 2019, showing the continued focus on profitability in our U.S. segment. Adjusted EBITDA continued to improve coming in at $1.2 million, an increase of $2.3 million from 2019. I also want to speak to our annual impairment test of non-financial assets which is required under IFRS. This quantitative test resulted in a $11.2 million recovery being recognized in our Canadian segment for Q4 2020. This recovery was driven by our improved forecast from our Q1 2020 views. I will now turn the call over to Michael Rollick to discuss our Canadian operations.
4: Thank you for taking the time to join us today. We are very proud of our dealers and the entire Auto Canada team for continuing to persevere through the uncertainty of COVID while at the same time producing exceptional operating results and outperforming the Canadian market for the eighth consecutive quarter. Thank you to our entire team across Canada. We'd also like to express our sincere gratitude to our vendors who have been true business partners as we collaboratively managed through this challenging time. Lastly, we want to extend a special thanks to our OEMs who have battled with us over the last year. Before COVID hit, we were gaining traction in many of the Go Forward initiatives, while at the same time enhancing our culture. The dramatic events and challenges presented by the pandemic allowed us to accelerate our restructuring to a level that could not be achieved in a normal operating environment. It also transformed our culture into one built on performance, trust, and most importantly, grit nothing makes a culture stronger and more whole than adversity like steel tempered in fire today we can say with confidence we are a new company a better company we have a high performance culture built on a solid foundation of trust and grit we are fully aligned and in sync with our oem partners today their goals are our goals we are working collaboratively with every oem to the point where it feels like we're all working for one company. We continue to build competencies in the used car business and sold more used vehicles in 2020 than any previous year in the company's history. Our new businesses, including Collision, Wholesale Export, and Subprime Sales, or Right Ride, are now fully operational and poised for a breakout year in 2021. We've also established dedicated online sales departments across the country to serve the consumer's shift to digital and remote purchasing. On top of all of this, our dealerships are operating at a high level while leading their local markets and winning OEM performance awards. A meaningful portion of this progress is a direct result of our focus on data and building world-class operational analytics. We have invested a significant amount of time and money over the last two years in building an industry-leading data warehouse and business intelligence team to support insights and daily decisioning, unlike anything we've seen in the industry. At Auto Canada today, data is everything. The most common saying you'll hear in our offices and dealerships is feelings aren't facts, show me the data. In an industry primarily managed by feelings and emotion, we are data-driven and make daily operational decisions based on math and facts. This scientific approach to sourcing, analyzing, and distributing data in a consumable form to our frontline decision-makers has allowed us to unlock the potential of each dealership and OEM brand. The success of this approach is most evident in our finance and insurance business, where we have increased our gross profit by 12.8% or an additional $316 per unit in Q4, to $2,783, setting another all-time record and further solidifying our global leadership in this area. It is also evident in the success of our margin and expense improvements throughout the organization, most notably the 5.5% improvement in parts, service, and collision margins, from 50.3% in the prior year to 55.8%. As we fine-tuned and implemented best practices, supported by our data-driven decision-making across the organization, we began documenting our processes in order to standardize them and support the onboarding of future acquisitions. We have invested a considerable amount of time developing these processes and recently launched the Auto Canada Playbook, an operating system with supporting documentation and technology for each of our best practices. We are thrilled with the results of this system, especially considering future acquisitions. We've had the opportunity to implement this playbook in the two acquisitions that were completed since the management transition in Q2 2018, Mercedes-Benz Heritage Valley and Rose City Ford. The results have been remarkable. Comparing their 2020 performance to pre-acquisition levels, excluding any COVID-related subsidies, we have improved dealership profitability by more than 50% at each location. This growth was driven by improvements in finance and insurance gross profit per unit of 30%, along with parts, service and collision repair gross profit improvement between 15 to 30%. Just as significantly, both dealerships have materially improved their standings with their respective OEM. Mercedes-Benz Heritage Valley was recognized for new vehicle market share improvements while Rose City Ford won the prestigious President's Diamond Club Award for the first time in their history, and we just received news yesterday that they've won it again, which is especially exciting considering it was won with the same management team as pre-acquisition. We have just completed what are traditionally the toughest months in the car business, January and February, yet the excitement level and the environment feel like peak selling season. If this is what february feels like we can't wait to see what happens as we head into peak sales months and covid restrictions begin to ease we have prepared for a tremendous year and we are ready on all fronts from a battle-hardened high performance team to optimal new and used inventory levels despite the global supply chain challenges we currently have enough new vehicle inventory to achieve our targets we work closely with our dealers and oem partners during the winter To purchase new vehicles, additional new vehicles, including inventory allocations that were declined by other non-Auto Canada dealerships. As I speak, we have over 100 days supply of new vehicle inventory with lots of vehicles on their way. Although historically we carried more than 100 days supply, the data shows we have sufficient inventory. We also have a large amount of inventory in the pipeline scheduled to arrive at the end of March. In 2020, we initiated a dedicated, centrally organized, and data-driven used vehicle buying strategy to ensure we, have, we had enough inventory to continue our momentum in 2021. As a result of that process, we are also carrying over 100-day supply of used vehicle inventory. We are enthusiastic to be starting the spring selling season with ample inventory and will continue to replenish our stock with fresh trade-ins as the new vehicle sales pick up in the spring. As a company and team, we're beyond thrilled about the future of Auto Canada and the future of the car business. There has never been a more exciting time for our industry. There is renewed enthusiasm for vehicle ownership. There are so many new and innovative vehicles being produced and launched, and the designs and technology and the new products are like nothing we've seen in our lifetime. Furthermore, we're seeing that all the service parts and collision repair business is being driven back to the dealerships because of proprietary technology and complexity of repairs. We are ready for the next leg of our journey. We have confidence in our operating model and methodology like never before. We have confidence in our OEM partners and our ability to stay in sync and work collaboratively. And we are beyond confident in our dealers and our team members to execute at a world-class level. There are many thoughts and debates around the automotive industry these days, but there is one thing we know for sure, whatever happens, this team wins, period. Over to you, Tammy.
5: Thank you, Michael. Good morning. I'm pleased to report another strong quarter in the U.S. demonstrating continued progress in our path toward profitability. I'll begin by speaking directly to the results in the fourth quarter. Adjusted EBITDA increased by $2.3 million to $1.2 million. This improvement is a direct reflection of our continued focus on cost management and profitability and improved market demand, all of which contributed to improved results for the U.S. platform despite significant inventory shortages in the U.S. Our results in Q4 also include contributions from the acquisition of House of Peoria on October 29, 2020 and the ceasing of two franchises in the prior year on November 11th, 2019. Other notable highlights include new vehicle gross profit increased by $1 million and new vehicle gross profit percentage increased by 1.8 percentage points to 4%. These improvements are attributable both to an increase in market demand and our continued prioritization of profit over volume. Within our US operations, market demand factors were more pronounced given the constrained availability of new vehicle inventory resulting from the closure of vehicle assembly plants at the onset of the pandemic and the more stringent lockdown restrictions imposed by both the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago. Used vehicle revenue decreased by 28.7% and used vehicle gross profit percentage decreased by 0.8%. Due to strong market demand and competition in sourcing used used vehicles, there was a thinning of used vehicle inventory um, supply available to our U.S. operations. Correspondingly, the number of used retail vehicles sold decreased by 29.1% to 664 units. Despite this decline in used retail units, as a result of the continued optimization of the retailing process. And our leveraging of used pricing opportunities used vehicle gross profit percentage continued to remain strong at 11.6 percent parts service and collision repair continues to improve as gross profit increased by 26.5 percent and gross profit percentage increased by 15.6 percentage points to 56.3 percent our primary focus continues to be the optimization of the fixed operations cost structure. This includes maximizing technician productivity, improving effective labor rates on our service work, and reducing the practice of discounting from our market average rates. In addition, our continued refinement of our F&I product offerings results in synergistic growth in both service, parsing, collision, repair, and F&I. Operating expenses before depreciation decreased by $4 million and operating expenses before depreciation as a percentage of gross profit decreased by 22.3 percentage points to 83.8%. This reduction is due to our continued focus on sustainable expense management and was the foundation for the overall improvement to profitability. Overall. We are pleased that our disciplined actions to improve our complete business model are delivering results. These actions include continued optimization of our training and related business processes, particularly in new vehicles, used vehicles, parts and collision repair segments, a continued shift in culture towards a focus on the customer versus focus on the unit sale, continued strict discipline over operational expenses, and finally, a focus on the optimization of fixed operations. We're also continuing to leverage successful Canadian operational initiatives. Looking ahead to 2021, with all of the improvements we've made to our business model in the US, we're looking forward to improving the business beyond break-even profitability. I too would like to once again express my deep appreciation to all of our dedicated team members. Your hard work, and determination have been critical to the continued improvements of our performance. I would also like to thank you, say thanks to our valued business partners and our OEMs who continue to be the key to us delivering on our U.S. performance. And I am so excited to be able to continue to lead our team forward in 2021. Now back to you, Paul.
2: Thanks, Tammy. I'd also like to say thank you for all the continued support from our strategic partners financial institutions, and OEM partners and investors, as Michael and Tammy have as well. In the face of this pandemic year, I'm ecstatic with the continued momentum that this company has exhibited through 2020, which has set us up to take advantage of growth and build on the scaffolding that we'd set in place over the last two years. Our performance reflects the fundamental strength of our business model teeing us up for our next leg of growth. As we look ahead to our next phase, the youth digital retail initiative, we continue to refine and develop our strategy to drive diversification in vehicle sales and capitalize on the incredible momentum in the category as validated by the success of these initiatives in the United States by companies like CarMax and Carvana. This division will drive the development of a national network of used vehicle dealers through both organic development and acquisitions, as well as an online platform and will represent Canada's first national used vehicle platform. We are rolling out this strategy in a multi-phased approach that we call our Crawl-Walk-Run plan. Currently, we're in the Crawl phase, focusing on the Canadian pre-owned market, building out and acquiring used car superstores, capable of selling in excess of 20,000 used vehicles per year as a foundation, while also developing the ability to efficiently recondition high volumes of vehicles at scale. As part of this effort, we recently acquired Haldeman Motors in November, one of Canada's premier largest used vehicle dealers. As our crawl efforts mature, we'll move into the walk and run phases during which we'll overlay digital capabilities, build out a dedicated call center, and harden the economic model while reinforcing a national brand. Used digital retail aside, we strongly believe in the industry's ongoing digital transformation. We expect to leverage our efforts with the used digital retail initiative across our entire platform, which we believe will complement the efforts and objectives of our OEM partners. Beyond digital initiatives, the strength of our operating platform and balance sheet has enabled us to remain on offense and attack other vectors of growth in a disciplined M&A strategy. We have an extensive pipeline of acquisition opportunities that we continue to assess qualitatively and quantitatively with the goal of diversifying by geography and brand in addition to expanding our network of used dealerships and collision centers with the 250 plus million dollars of dry powder that Mike mentioned we're well positioned to take advantage of these acquisition opportunities while maintaining our strong balance sheet and flexibility importantly i believe the strong reputation auto canada has now built over the last 2 years has made us a trusted counterparty in looking at acquisitions whether we're working with individuals generational family operations, or with multi-store, multi-regional groups. People like to work with us because we work hard to deliver on what we say. As long as we remain within our target internal operating and capital allocation metrics, we're willing to work with vendors to achieve a deal that makes sense. As we've said before, we continue to be proactive and vigilant as to what the future holds with any impacts from COVID-19. That said, we believe we've stabilized the fundamentals of our business while identifying and developing several growth vectors. New cars aside, including F&I, parts and service, collision repair, near prime, Subprime, and used only retail. Our team has been mobilized to approach each one of these growth opportunities with the same intensity and vigor with which we rebuilt this company. These are very exciting times for Auto Canada. finally. We're poised to take advantage of the disruption and consolidation in the industry and blaze a new path forward in the evolution of our company. Now I'll turn the call over to the operator for any questions. Thank you.
0: Thank you. The floor is now open for your questions. To ask a question, please press star, followed by the one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of David Ocampo with CoreMark Securities.
6: Hi, uh, good morning, everyone. Hey, David. Paul, I'd like to zero in a little bit on the used uh, strategy here, and maybe you could talk a little bit about the capital requirements, at least in the crawl phase. How much it's going to cost to acquire those dealerships and then moving on from that what are the capital requirements from a technology standpoint
2: yeah ha- happy to so you know there's a couple couple of ways to think about that so we look at buying these dealerships um, kind of in the 1.5 to three times uh, ebt uh, multiple and so Obviously, the, these dealerships turn out to be quite accretive for us, and so we don't think that there's a significant spend um, required to get us to scale. Uh, and we're we're trying to do this in in a you know quite a disciplined way. Secondly, you know we're not going to be able to fill out the entire country um, through acquisition, and so where we can't actually go and, um Buy or, or make an acquisition. Um, you know, we're looking at, at greenfielding, and the cost of greenfielding is significantly less. So um, th- that's that's kind of the the way we're thinking about s- setting it up. And then, as far as the digital retail piece, you know, the the tech technology part of it, we don't think is is overly expensive i mean if you there there's parts of it that can be like the um, basically the analytics around buying and procuring the used vehicles um but as far as delivering them and creating a you know a, a marketplace for for consumers to go on value trades and be able to purchase the vehicle that's already been done and we can kind of take best practices, and we are taking best practices from many of the companies out there already that are already serving up, you know, great, quite frankly, great customer experiences in the United States. Um, and it, it's the back end that, that really is, is not changing. Like the buying the vehicle, reconditioning the car, the hard labor that it actually takes to get that car from, you know from auction or from a customer's driveway um to us for frontline ready that's something that hasn't really changed so so setting up this um, this digital experience which is you know that that's that's highly important to us to allow a consumer to transact online is not something that we think is going to take tens of millions of dollars it it's it's in the high single digits to actually develop we're we're already working on it,
6: right? And you mentioned that you're giving up, you know, part part of ownership interest in the in the new strategy to get that multiple a little bit lower, I, I presume. Uh, but maybe perhaps you can talk a little bit about the 10% options that you, you you'll be providing to either employees or service providers. If you can provide any incremental details around that, that'd be great.
2: Sure, I mean. We socialized this at the board level and, um, you know, we looked at a bunch of different packages and for us, you know, we're basically standing up a new division of this company. It's basically a startup within a public company and there were a couple of ways we could have looked at it. One was to, you know, go buy something and really there's nothing that exists in Canada um, to what we were looking for. Um secondly it would be to build it and go on 100% risk at Auto Canada and you know to build out the infrastructure and build out the machinery needed to be a used car platform and you know build greenfield locations and and so on and so forth um and then hire the talent to actually go and scale this uh and and in that scenario that would have been you know if it works out 100% then then that would be a, a great win for the company if it doesn't work out that would be a huge drag on our balance sheet and frankly something that you know the the board and management decided that that wasn't the right the right um, the right methodology for thinking or framework for thinking about it and then lastly the way we thought about it was look if we go and do this properly We acquire top-tier dealers in Canada, make them part of this new division. So if this is successful, obviously the shareholders and the company is massively successful, and they're ultimately successful as well. And so what it does is it provides downside risk to the company. And so even in the worst-case scenario, um, the company still is in in the position of acquiring car used car transactions between twenty and thirty thousand used car transactions incremental as well as acquiring these dealerships at you know accretive multiples. And so when we thought through the the whole the whole way of how to build this, this seemed to make the most sense. Oh, that's the good most color
6: the most risk. And then maybe a last one for me before I hand the call over, um you provided some good incremental details about the liquidity event or liquidity option that the the owners have. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about your liquidity events. Uh, I think it says here that you have you can exercise a liquidity event at any time, and then there's an option after 10 years. Would that be payable all in cash? How how does the dynamics work for that?
2: To be honest, I I I think I'm better off to send that over to Mike. It's something that I didn't really focus a ton on, and. I think the only way – the way I was thinking about it personally is that unless this thing is successful, um, the liquidity of this doesn't really matter, right? So um, if this thing is a massive success, then providing liquidity to anybody that needs it shouldn't be a problem. And if it's not a massive success, then even in the worst case, again, Auto Canada has acquired dealerships that – at, at you know, really exciting multiples, uh, and that makes them accretive, and you know, me or any other um, equity holders of this new co wouldn't necessarily do that well, and so I'm I'm really focused on obviously building this thing out and hopefully having a, a great success of it. But Mike, I'll I'll let you elaborate.
3: Sure. Um, yeah, David, we we have the optionality of. Of um covering off the liquidity event with shares of the company, so obviously we we can do it with equity, we can do it with uh, cash. but assuming this is a success that we think it can be, then more more likely than not we'd be looking at equity
6: okay and and you guys also have that option to to purchase the shares if they're not doing well or presumably after a certain period of time is, is that something that you would would execute on if you sell fit?
3: Yeah, there are sorry, if you're thinking about uh the executive chairman's or or Paul's uh interest, then yeah, ten years. Either Paul has has rights or the company has rights. So we can well we have uh put call rights at ten years.
6: Okay, that's it for me. Thank you.
7: Okay, Thank you. thanks.
0: Our next question, comes from the line of Chris Murray, with ATB Capital Markets. Good morning, folks.
3: Hey, Chris. Hey, morning.
0: Um,
8: morning. Um, so, just maybe thinking about the, the core business, um, and as we go into 2021, you know, I think that one of the things that was a plus and surprise is just the ratio of your operating expenses to gross profit um, through Q4. And I know we've been talking about that a little bit. Um, but as we're going into 21, um, how do we think about your operating expense leverage? Um, you know, I think you've talked a little bit about you've done a lot of stuff on the cost side. um, I think the last time we talked, you know there was some expectation you may have to add some cost back to the system just to handle growth um but just how should we be thinking about that relationship um as you start to get into more normalized operations and has your thinking changed about having to add cost back
2: i'll let uh I'll let Michael handle that question,
4: okay. Uh, with regards to the expense margin, uh, everything feels very normal to us, so I don't quite remember what was said or or, or who said it in Q3, you know, with potentially adding uh, expenses back, but uh, that seems like a lifetime ago, and for the, the last number of months, we're in a very normal operating environment, uh, except for... The rolling blackouts of lockdowns and restrictions and everything, especially around around uh, Christmas time in December, uh, but things feel normal to us. So I, we don't we don't have expenses l- lingering or people on furloughs that we're wondering if we bring back or not. Like this is a very normal environment for us. If that answers your question.
8: Yeah, and just I, I mean I guess the other piece of it is um, you know. With the existing cost base that you have today, you still feel comfortable that you can continue to drive gross profit
4: oh yeah absolutely know we've got we've got tons of tons of runway we're we are we are as of today like we we are ready for twenty twenty one on all fronts and uh no additional costs no uh excess capacity, no restrictions on capacity we're ready to go okay. Um,
8: and then, Mike, maybe you want to take this one. Um, just any thoughts around um, any additional Q's payments or any other adjustments that we should be kind of aware of as we go into 21?
1: No,
3: I'm, like, I think it'll it'll continue to trail off. I mean, we talk about internally whether we continue to call it out. I think we will. You know, as we as we get any Q's payments, um, it'll be calculated on a dealership by dealership perspective. So it was it was uh, it was down to like 2.8 million in Q4. I would imagine I think we still may apply for some amounts in q one, but again i I think that amount is going to continue to diminish as we move through the year so and I think the program will actually kind of trail off as we move out of uh, out of q one so call it call it the minimis in terms of overall impact to the business
8: okay um and then my my next question is around the m and a strategy and and I mean guys, I appreciate you know the last couple quarters you know the commentary has been we've got a healthy pipeline we've got a healthy pipeline um but we really you know outside of you know call it the the smaller transactions and maybe the specialty transactions around helment um we haven't seen you guys execute on on transactions how should we be thinking about um i guess two parts one your ability and and on on being able to execute in 2021 um you know maybe i don't I'll be bold enough to ask you the question that uh, you know. Do you guys have a number in mind of how many dealerships you want to actually try to acquire this year, Um, and how do you feel about being able to do um, the due diligence requirements and actually the integration requirements um, of multiple dealerships, maybe all at once?
2: I would say I'm going to make this a little bit longer than it maybe needs to be, but I just I think I need to say this. When we first got to Auto Canada. Um, we were constantly being asked to come out and go marketing, and talk to analysts, talk to investors, and so on and so forth. And it felt to us like there was no point, right? Because we, I, I tried that for probably two weeks, and when we did that, everybody said, "Yeah, right. Like you guys are disasters. It's never going to happen. You know, we pack it up and go home." And so we have this mindset at Auto Canada. Where we're just going to continue to under promise and over deliver, and so what I would tell you is you haven't seen anything because we don't want to talk about stuff that we haven't accomplished and so over the course of the next little bit, um, suffice it to say that we're aware we're we're as a management team and a board, we're keenly aware that the reason we have this opportunity to operate Auto Canada is because of, I would say, the poor acquisitions that had been made in the past. And that will not be a part of our future. As far as I'm concerned, we have perhaps the best M&A team, period, in North America to help us facilitate these transactions, combined with potentially the best operations team to actually enable um, the unlocking of value and synergies. And so we are very, very confident that we have the capability um, to drive value through M&A, and any transactions that we embark on will be highly strategic to the growth of our business. And I think I'll just leave it at that. I have said that we have a lot in the pipeline. We are being very choosy.
8: Okay, we'll leave it there. Thanks, guys.
2: Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Michael Dumet with Scotia Bank.
7: Hey,
3: morning, well.
7: guys. Hey, hey, morning. Hey, you covered a lot of ground on the preparatory remarks. I'm just gonna maybe sprinkle a couple of questions uh, tactically. Maybe starting on the on the quarter. Um, you know, the personal service business was a, a touch softer than expected. Um, And Understandably, the reduced vehicle miles driven and certain COVID related restrictions impacted the business. Just wondering if you can break out the Q4 softness, um, you know, in terms of customer pay work, warranty, collision repair um, and what you think the trends are going forward.
2: Well, again, and I think this is probably best uh, for Michael to answer, but I would tell you, you know, you're right about the miles driven go- going down and miles driven going down therefore means less service work. That said, and to Mike's point and something we've been reinforcing um to everybody that we've been talking to, this pandemic is not over. We have rolling lockouts uh or 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 shutdowns from from hard lockdowns to, you know, kind of softer depending on the province. And so if you're asking us to speculate what it's going to look like, we don't necessarily want to forecast that because now I'm reading about you know this Brazilian variant that we don't have an answer to. Who knows what we measure ourselves with, and this is why I tried to emphasize this on the call that we will continue to outperform the market in every aspect of our business, and that's the that's really the only barometer that we can use internally. And I would, I would highly recommend you consider too, is as long as we're outperforming the market, then regardless of the conditions, we have a sustainable and a you know, as sustainable as you could have business model. But I'll let Michael answer more of the questions. You know, if you're looking to break things out.
4: Michael. Oh, sorry, Paul. Uh, so, uh, I'll, I'll back up a little bit on it and, and, uh, and go into parts and service collision. So, uh, when we look at our, our, our margins across all of our business units, and uh, this relates to the previous question, uh, there, there are no ratios and then,
1: of course, we're tracking everything,
4: right? So, OPEX is, is broken down to a very granular level and goes and everything else, and there are no ratios that we think are surprisingly low or high. Everything is in the sweet spot, and uh, we really feel like we have flow in our business right now. We're in the sweet spot with all of our metrics, operating culture, everything. We're in the zone. The part that makes us excited is the continued runway on used vehicles and uh, uh, switching to fixed operations, and is the recovery, the impending recovery of our fixed operations because with everything going on right now, we still have this drag in miles driven. So the number that we've settled on <clears throat> to monitor this has been uh, leaders of, of fuel sold, retail leaders of fuel sold uh, in Canada. And for the last three to four months, that's been in and around down 20 to 22% uh, year over year, uh, where our business, uh we're we're in and around, like from a total sales perspective, around minus six, minus seven percent. So we think we're really outperforming uh the country and everything we look at. We're outperforming the country in that regard. Uh but we're also making up for it uh on our margin business. And so as as we're kind of shifted away from the volume side of our parts, service, and collision and really focusing on margin enhancement at a granular level, uh our expectation is when mobility increases, which is inevitable, uh, that that our business is going to be even way better, and that's that's going to pro- provide an, a, another jolt of energy and growth and, and gross margins a, into the overall model. Great guys, that, that makes a ton of sense. <clears throat>
7: thanks, thanks for the caller there. Um, so maybe just turning to the M and A pipeline. Um, you know, I can appreciate that every franchise dealer out there, um, you know, will look different and achieve varying levels of financial performance. You know, I wonder if you can generalize the opportunities you're seeing out there and and you can say that, you know, Hey um, you know, 80% of the deals we're looking at auto Canada is, you know, better at selling used vehicles or more F and I, or, or just give us a sense, you know, for what categories you think auto Canada really outperforms, um, you know, versus the industry and where the, Synergies could come from, <clears throat> um, and, and just finally, I mean, you mentioned that 50% post-acquisition profit growth. I mean, is that a, a repeatable number, um, in your view?
2: So, where where F and I, and process, and then as well, if you recall, we talked about data um and using data and analytics around our businesses the other thing is, you know we're we're negotiating national so on a cost side we've negotiated national contracts and so anybody you know, we think that, you know gives us um preferential pricing on on contracts compared to um you know one or two or Five store groups. As part two of your question, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to let Michael chat about it. But you, you asked about, you know, if it's repeatable. My, our view at, at Auto Canada is it is. Um, there's there's a lot of stores that have been, you know, operated as a family business and not necessarily <laughs> professionalized. And we think that the opportunity to professionalize that business. And overlay our synergies result in asymmetric upside, but Michael, I'll let you opine
4: yeah I, I think that overall like the advantages are many and 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 Paul mentioned them in his script with it with the six points that he started off with uh, but I would say high level our our advantages were a professional management team, and we're we're a professional management team with a real data focus. And we have scale enough where we have specialized individuals uh, for for each segment of the business. So uh, it's the whole concept of the division of labor and the specialization. So if you look at a dealership and you say, okay, that that dealership is one business. And most independents, you have uh, one general manager, owner-operator, oftentimes family business that's overseeing the dealership the way we look at the business is we say we have a new car division we have a used car business we have a service business a parts business a collision business and a finance and insurance business and each each one of those six departments has dedicated competitors that get up every day and live and breathe that industry so for example our parts business goes up against the napas of the world our collision business goes up against the Boyd's of the world and as an individual owner operator you you can't you can't get up every day and compete with specialized competitors that all they do is do that and you're doing one of six things during that day but at auto canada we can compete where we have the large enough scale where we have a director of collision that goes head to head with boyds with our collision business we have a director of service we have director of parts we have dedicated whole team around finance and insurance so we pull that business apart, and we compete with it, and we treat it more as a mini-mall of, of interconnected ecosystem of automotive businesses, and that's where we're really getting our lift is with that division of labor and that specialization on a foundation of of data and specialized uh, professional management. So we think absolutely it's repeatable. We're, we've built this platform for growth, uh, and, and we're, we are ready for the next leg of our journey.
7: Gotcha. I mean, you've done it for your business, so I imagine you can do it with acquired assets. Um, the third question, um, can, can you provide, so on the, on the used um, digital retail division, can you provide some insights into how the board will value the platform um, and therefore the value, the limited partner interest? And just as a clarification, is the limited partner interest, um, is that the value of the business minus the invested capital by Auto Canada?
2: So, the answer to that is, yes, it's the value of the business minus the invested capital um and then I will you know i will defer to Mike Mike, if you'd like to answer that question
3: yeah, so it is it is val yeah, it is the value mm-hmm. less the invested capital at a uh at a specified rate, and then we do make reference so outside of the executive chairman's interest where where Paul can specify a price. When it comes to the vendors, that's where we'll be using a independent valuation. <clears throat> and the independent valuation will take a look at what's the value of Auto Canada to begin with, and then begin subtracting the parts of the business. But we will end up deferring to an independent valuator for that piece. And then again, going back to the limited partner interest, as we've indicated, the holder, for the holder of, the, of that interest after three years has a put right so they can put it to Auto Canada and then after the fifth year, we have the call right so we can, we can call that at five years.
2: Gotcha. Thanks for the answers, guys. Um, really exciting story. Thanks.
0: Our next, our next question comes from the line of Lou Cannon with Canaccord Genuity.
9: Yeah, thanks. Uh, Good morning, guys. Um, I just wanted to focus um, for a moment on um, F&I. That was an area of strength for you guys um, in the quarter. So I'm curious to know what what kind of white space, what kind of opportunity is there for you um, in this segment? And and how would you sort of rank yourselves uh, relative to peers here?
2: Well, I'll let Michael take that. But I've got to say, like, we feel like we are globally, you know, like f and i masters, and that's because of Michael and his team uh led by michael pestrac it's It's incredible to watch Michael, I'll let you take it from here,
4: yeah, <clears throat> so I agree ranking to peers uh we, we rank ourselves number one uh and that's a it's a real area of strength for us. This team continues to grow i i i don't i don't know what runway is left. But uh, they, keep, they keep going and going and going. And even in January and February, we're seeing continued growth in that area. So uh, it's very exciting. Uh, the most exciting part about F&I, uh, I think, is going to be on the acquisition side uh, where that's going to be an area where we're going to get our quick and immediate wins uh, from acquisitions. And it's really that's where our focus like on, on data and, and numbers and process. Really, really shows up is in F and I because the F and I part of the business is really like Moneyball. It really is granular data and analysis and operational analytics supported by process. And so, uh, we're we're pretty excited about our business. I don't know if, if there's anything more specific I can add about that. Nope,
9: that's uh, that's that's very helpful. Um, my next question, I guess, is just on the. Um, on, on sort of your, your capital requirements for, for 2021, I guess, that there's going to be some capital allocated to um, acquisitions. But, and Mike, maybe this is more of a question for you. How are you thinking about, um, you know, if we look historically, I think you've spent around $28, 29000000 in CapEx. And also, um, you know, in the past, there's been a dividend that you guys have paid as well. So how are you thinking about your capital budgeting for 2021? Yeah, so we did... Um...
3: Hold together our, our budget, obviously uh, in in December, uh, the numbers that we have for the current year, 2021, are not going to be dramatically different from what historically has been the case. And, and you're right, the spending has been about 28, 28, 28 to 29 million over the last three years. So, you know, I'd say directionally, we're probably a little lighter than that. In uh, based on what we have right now in our with visibility um, on on capital. Um, I think on dividend, I'm going to. I'll defer to Paul to speak to the dividend.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm happy to speak to the dividend. The answer is, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, and we suspended the dividend because we were uncertain um, at at what point that we're, you know, if 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 something would ever go bad, um, you know, would we look at ourselves and say, well, we should have kept the dry powder for. You know, for for safety of acquisitions or for safety of the company, and so while we're going through this, um, while we're going through these times, and there still is uncertainty, uh, we don't think it's prudent to actually reinstate the dividend at this
9: point. Understood. Um, last one for me, uh, and then I'll pass the line, uh, Paul. When you think about the just your your competitive positioning um within parts and service and collision repair, what would be I guess what would be some of the, the characteristics that make you feel like you're better positioned um compared to, you know, the, the voids of the world, for example. What are what are some of the things that you believe will help um give you a better value proposition to your customers uh, coming out of the pandemic when volumes are turned?
2: I feel like I like this is this I, I almost feel like I wish this question came and thank you because I this is where I I mean, I have a lot of um, insight and spent a lot of time in this. We think about cars as a, a piece of hardware and a piece of software, and every day cars cars are getting more and more complex. And if you think about that, and you think of think about the fact that, you know, if you want your iPhone fixed properly, you actually take it to the Apple store when you crack the screen. Um if you want a battery replaced you you take it to the Apple store As cars are becoming more and more complex the ability of the collision repair shop only to do all the the collision repair work and sync the car up for calibration which it needs to have um you know in in order for all the um collision avoidance systems to work um it's becoming more and more rare and so our belief is that as cars are becoming more and more complex and the necessity to actually bring that car to the OEM more and more makes it ever so ever ever so more important for us to actually have collision repair centers to facilitate the repair of the vehicle just like we do mechanically for our customers. And so I I would say that if you just think about it, the idea of bringing the the car to a collision repair shop that's not affiliated with an OEM in the future could be problematic. And I think that's why you're seeing many um, collision repair centers actually become certified by the OEMs. But I think if you had a choice to bring your car to an OEM and get the car fixed or a collision center that might be certified by an OEM... But not necessarily represent. I think in the future you'd probably want uh, our our bet is that you'd want to bring that back to the OEM. That's one one thought. The other thought I would tell you that I, from my previous life with vehicle history reports that I learned, 60% of people that are in a collision will sell or trade that vehicle within the next 18 months. And if we don't have a collision repair network set up. Um, to facilitate the repair of that vehicle it's possible to have brand defection and so we want to actually handle our customers from cradle to grave and be able to look after the entire ecosystem and so for us it's it's both defensive and offensive hopefully that answers your question I, i don't know if i was being clear enough
9: i'm pretty passionate about this nope that's that's very helpful thanks a lot that's all my questions
0: our final question comes from the line of Maggie McDougall McDougall, excuse
10: me, with Stele.
2: Hey, Maggie.
10: Hey, uh, thanks for taking my question. So um, I wanted to circle back on something that I thought was interesting from your preliminary comments, uh, which was that you're using data analytics internally in a way that the business has never used them before. Um, so can you elaborate on internal data analytics capabilities? And then the synergies that these present, as you can sort of unlock um, doors between divisions, and as you continue to scale the business through collision, your right ride program, used a new um, growth initiative.
2: So, I, we want to answer your question, but there's a little bit of secret sauce in there. So I will say that some of the analytics that we have, um, we would prefer to keep on the Auto Canada playbook and have that be kind of our competitive advantage when we're thinking about acquisition. So I'm not trying to... um, I am trying to avoid the question, actually, just because we feel that's part of our secret sauce. Um, So I apologize for that right now.
10: No problem. Um, The other question that I had was just, again, touching on something in your preliminary comments, which is that, Uh, things are shifting away from online marketplaces and automotive retail. And I thought that was pretty interesting given that there's been a lot of fanfare this year so far and last year as well around these pure play e-commerce platforms. So can you just elaborate a bit on this statement and how this may shape your strategy and and perhaps how it's shaped it already?
2: Sure. So, um, Look, a lot of the online marketplaces, everybody's trying to scramble right now to figure out how to be a part of the transaction. And so you have, you know, these third-party marketplaces. I don't want to name them specifically, but everybody's trying to figure out how to add value. Do we, um, you know, do we start handling the payment for the transaction? Do we look at the insurance for the transaction? Let's value the trade. These people are actually, though at some point when they were actually driving value by delivering customers to us as dealers, um, there's the potential for them to get um, disintermediated. And so when we look at it and we think about the cost that that actually adds to the, the whole transaction just for them to um, be a part of the transaction, we think that that money uh, money is better better spent driving traffic to our marketplace or our digital storefront versus third-party marketplaces. And so we're just being very mindful of that. And that's listen. That's one of the reasons that we're um, starting our used car division and digital strategy um, is to drive drive traffic to our own marketplace, our own digital storefronts versus you know these third-party marketplaces. And it. it it actually will end up being a better customer experience, which is what we're trying to solve for.
10: Thanks a lot, guys. Congrats on the progress you've made. Um, I'll pass the line over.
3: Thank you.
0: There are no further questions. Management, the floor is yours for any closing remarks.
2: Listen, uh, we really, really appreciate everybody's uh, belief in Auto Canada and belief in this management team. And frankly, we um, as a management team want to thank our board Um, for allowing us the the latitude and belief to execute on the strategy. And uh, we'll look forward to um, under-promising and over-delivering at your next quarter call. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.